Welcome to another guest episode of the Health Uncovered podcast. Today, we get to hang out with my personal eye doctor. Dr. Jesse Kamen is a full-scope California-licensed optometrist with a diverse experience in private, corporate, hospital, and military sectors of primary care optometry. After completing the pre-optometry program at Ferris State University in Michigan, Dr. Kamen went on to graduate from Illinois College of Optometry, earning both her Doctorate of Optometry and Bachelor of Science in Visual Science in 2008. Prior to serving as a medical officer in the U.S. Navy from 2009 to 2012, she developed her foundational skills while working as an associate optometrist for lens crafters. Dr. Kamen returned to private practice in 2012 and has since polished her optometric skills with nationally renowned ophthalmic surgeons, both in the Chicagoland area and now in San Diego. Dr. Kamen is also a recognized adjunct faculty member at two national colleges of optometry, and in 2010, she was hand-selected for the esteemed role of examiner in the administration of the National Board of Optometry Examination. Along with providing primary eye care, Dr. Kamen also specializes in sports and performance optometry, as well as the management of dry eye disease. She prides herself in the latest and greatest in technology for doing such. In her spare time, Dr. Kamen stays active. She enjoys all things outdoors, including rock climbing, fishing, kayaking, gardening, dining, shopping, all the above, and she is a complete animal lover. Dr. Kamen and her two fur baby assistants, Slater and Bowie, are greatly looking forward to meeting you and becoming your local eye care provider. Our key takeaways in this episode will be how often should you get your eyes tested and just the importance of yearly eye exams. What does she look for during eye exams? What symptoms should prompt you to see an eye doctor right away? And also, what if you've never had vision problems? Is there anything you can do now to preserve your vision or eye health from a preventative standpoint? And are blue light glasses a thing and any common misconceptions about optometry? Okay, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the Health Uncovered podcast, your go-to podcast for all things health, healing, and what to do next on your health journey. I'm your host, Mercedes Cook, a doctor of chiropractic and a diplomate in chiropractic cranial cervical junction procedures. Each week, my guests and I will be uncovering treatment options and health tips to help you get to the root cause of your health issues. If you're tired of seeing doctor after doctor with no answers, then the show is for you. You'll learn all kinds of healthcare options that you may have not known existed that will help you move forward on your healing journey more confident than ever. I invite you to stay open and curious. All right, let's get into today's episode. Hi, Dr. Jesse Kamen. Thank you so much for joining the Health Uncovered podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. And for my listeners, this is my eye doctor in San Diego. So I'm really excited for you to hear from her. Dr. Jesse, can you please tell us what got you into optometry? Why did you become an eye doctor? Absolutely. So I was always, even as a kid, very medically focused. Um, my father was a physics teacher, chemistry, uh, so kind of born a nerd. <laughs> and then 
My best friend is my oldest brother, who unfortunately, when he was a bit younger, uh, you know, young elementary school, he was kind of wrote off as being, you know, kind of a bad kid, difficult kid, not learning well. And then they ultimately placed him into um, special ed. And so that in itself created some problems, you know, amongst the family, some tensions, concerns. And but uh, luckily, there was a local optometrist that was visiting the various elementary schools and visiting these special ed programs. And they were performing basically what's called a, a binocular vision assessment. But essentially, it's uh, we take a look at how the eyes are actually working together, as you can kind of imagine for, for kids learning to read, learning to do math, things like that. You've got to have a good set of binocularity. The eyes need to be working together so that the child can actually comprehend and understand what they're doing versus just really concentrating on keeping things single. And so, um, you know, luckily enough, my, my brother was identified as having a deficiency there. And so they enrolled him into a, you know, pretty short, simple, straightforward vision therapy program to retrain those eyes and was able to uh, to get him out of the special ed and give him a bit more confidence in himself and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And so that really stuck with me. Yeah, stuck with me as a kid. I, I you know, the doctor was so approachable. Dr. Supis, I still remember his name, definitely became a, a family friend of ours. And so, yeah, that, that's what kind of planted the seed. I really enjoyed how he interacted with the family and, and made us comfortable and, and took care of my best friend. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, when you went to undergrad and then in going to school, did you question like, oh, do I really want to be an eye doctor? Or was it really clear like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do? Uh, the only thing questioning was that my other interest included music industry management. <laughs> I wanted to uh, oh. be amongst the rock stars somehow, <laughs> some way. But I figured uh, I didn't quite, I didn't have any ins on that. I didn't know anybody. And it optometry, it, it came, it came natural to me. I was never interested in cutting and sewing and surgeries, but I, I did like the approach or the ability to, to take care of people. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Okay. Well, let's dive into a couple questions. Could you tell our listeners how often should we get our eyes tested in general? Like, is there a specific amount of time that even if you don't have vision issues, you should still be getting your eyes checked? Is there kind of a standard? Is it different for everybody? Just walk us through kind of just general recommendations for our eyes. So there is some recommendations per se through like the American Optometric Association or the American Ophthalmology Association. I feel like they muddy the waters and make it much more uh, complicated than they need to. So in my in my opinion, my best advice I can give you is kind of a, a keep it simple, you know what, strategy where once a year, have the eyes looked at, regardless of blurry vision or not. The reason I say that is everyone thinks of us as, you know, the people who give you glasses, the people who correct for vision. But really, it, the goal would be to reshape that and look at us as more of a primary care provider. Yes, we want you to see clearly. That's part of the equation. The other part is making sure that the eyes are healthy. We're oftentimes very, we're, we're capable or we're, we actually see the signs of vascular disease sometimes earlier than your primary care provider inside the eyes. So diagnosing diseases, whether they're acute or chronic, would require regular eye exams. So that's, I do recommend yearly exams for everyone. 
going back again a little bit to school age children, again, you really want to make sure that their visual systems are operating optimally so that they're performing optimally in a school. Now, should you actually have, you know, an eye disease such as um, glaucoma, macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, those would require a little bit more frequent exams. That all kind of depends on the severity and the stage of the disease. But just as a catch-all, I encourage people, just dial it in uh, once a year, just like you do your your normal physical and blood work and things like that, as to be preventative as to. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And can you walk us through, I mean, I'm sure depending on what eye doctor you go to, these exams can vary slightly. But for you, can you walk us through like what I come in for my yearly eye exam to see you? What are you testing for? I know with you, like one big difference when I started seeing you in San Diego was like, you told me all the different tests we were doing and like what we're testing for. But prior to that, I've been seeing eye doctors my whole life. You know, you go in, they look at things, they t- they don't tell you what they're testing for. They don't like tell you anything. They're just like putting stuff in your eye and you're like, oh, okay, great. So I would love to just have you walk us through like, what do you actually test for other than like, yes, the vision, but other things just so we understand the importance of the eye exam. Sure. To address the little bit of the explanation uh, overkill on my part sometimes too far. One, oftentimes, unfortunately, the doctors are pressed for time. <laughs> and, and I and I know that's a terrible excuse, but that's that's why I I give myself a full hour with the patients so I don't have to be pressed for time so that I can't explain things. In school, that as we were being tested and run through our practicals, that was a huge part of the grade was that you actually explain the tests because these things can be triggering. This can be a stressful, you know, high tension kind of thing. So that was ingrained in me. Part two, I gave my mom an eye exam one time. She drilled me about not being uh, thorough enough about what I was doing and explaining so that that stuck with me as well. So yeah, what we do or what I do specifically, I like to call my exams individualized eye exams because we take a good amount of time to discuss not only your complaints, your concerns, if there are any, if there aren't any, but I also want to learn about how you're using your eyes and what kind of demands you have. You know, people who were doing a lot more things on digital devices, there's a lot more of a near demand. So maybe instead of just one prescription that covers everything, we might need to modify and have multiple prescriptions. Another example would be somebody who spends a lot of their time outside. We've really got to make sure that we've got proper UV protection, maybe a secondary sunglass, something like that. And the same goes with contact lenses. I've got some patients that have a contact lens prescription for when they golf. They have another one when they work. They have another one when they go to concert, you know, and so, you know, by having the time and having these conversations, we can really get into what you want. And, you know, everyone's very familiar with the term 2020 vision, but I like to coin more that it's more about being 20 happy (laughs) because you have to have clear and comfortable vision and, and it has to be meeting your demands. So we really take the time and the history to go through that. We review your medical history. So I know, should I be looking for certain things in the eyes? We, same thing with your family history, medications, allergies, the whole whole nine yards. And then usually your first exam is a little bit longer because we're just getting some baseline data 
a lot of the tests we won't have to repeat year after year, but it's just kind of that first one. So we get a feel for how you're currently seeing without any glasses and with any glasses that you might have. We do a complete refraction, which that's when I start the dreaded one or two test. Yes. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets real nervous. There are no wrong answers, I promise you. <laughs> we're, we're honestly just giving you a few options and you let us know what looks sharper, okay? And then based on that, based on your demands, we will craft a prescription for you in the hopes that that, you know, alleviates your symptoms. And then usually after the refractive sequence, we take a look at binocularity. Again, how are the eyes working together? Are we having any issues with an eye turn, inability to pull things in focus? So that's addressed. And then it's on to the health exam, which is looking both at the front of the eye as well as inside of the eye. That's, again, another, the second dreaded part of the exam, the dilation. <laughs> um, it's the best way for us to look inside the eye because otherwise your, your pupils constrict and they really limit our views. I like to use the example of trying to look into a room through like a keyhole, for instance. Without that dilation, we're really limited. So we're looking at peripheral retina and I'm looking for um, vascular disease, tumors, retinal tears, detachments. There are some congenital problems with the retina that could impose long-term effects. So we're trying to detect for any evidence of that. And of course, the macular degeneration, glaucoma, that, all that good jazz. And then along with that, in my office, I like to couple, I have a retinal imaging system that takes a beautiful picture of the back of the eye, which is nice to have and compare year after year, again, looking for change. But it also is taking measurements of how healthy the tissue is back there. So we're able to trend and track and identify any areas that might be out of the normal for your age group, for your race, for your sex. And um, that's, you know, pick up earlier on the glaucoma, the macular degeneration, retinal dystrophy is this kind of stuff. And so that it sets us up to create a better long-term treatment plan, working with your other doctors, occupational therapists, you, chiros, you know, everybody across the board, because we have that much more data. Yeah. Really quick. I wanted to ask, especially about that machine, because I know not every eye doctor may utilize that, but can you tell us the name of the machine that you use for the really cool pictures? That was like one of my favorite things about my visit. And I was wondering, because I think the last time I was in, I don't think you dilated my eyes, but I was wondering if because you had that machine, if you don't necessarily always need to dilate the eyes or the dilation part has nothing to do with that retinal machine. You bring up a really good point because I know at a lot of offices, they kind of spin it where having that retinal image done takes the place of a dilation. And I don't agree with that. I think they both serve their part and they complement each other. In your case, it may have been a fact where dilation, you had to go back to work and you weren't, can be fuzzy or it's more so again, they're like, yeah, we didn't see anything last year. We could probably do it next year. But with the image system, it really concentrates on on your nerve tissue and the macular tissue. And that's where, I hate using this Midwest term, but that's where the meat and potatoes happen in the back of the eye. <laughs> yeah, from Michigan. Yeah. And so, you know, if anything, if we can get a good look at that, I'm, I'm happy with that. And then we can, you know, take a look at the peripheral retina when it is once again convenient for you to have that dilation because it does have the side effects of blurry vision up close light sensitivity, that kind of a thing. So yeah, the the particular technology that I use, it's made by a company called Topcon, who's been optical forever. 
and it's called a maestro OCT. (laughs) So Okay, maestro. Maestro. Again, it has a nice picture of what's called the posterior pole, colored photos. I can actually apply filters to isolate various layers of the retina, which is important when you're looking at something that might be suspicious for like being a tumor or something like that. Also any blood leakages, that kind of stuff. And then the OCT part of it is actually where it's measuring thickness and healthiness of the tissue. It has a huge database that it's comparing normative values to. So it's it's really able to pick up things sooner than than my eye. I love that. Well, I until I met you, I had no idea that going to the doctor, you know, is basically kind of a part should be a part of your primary care because you are you can potentially see vascular disease early or you can potentially see a tumor or something that's going on and as we know as healthcare providers, just because you ha- don't have symptoms yet doesn't mean that there's not something going on. So, I loved that you have that and it's just another reason why just get your yearly checkup just to make sure and we're good. Yeah. A big, you know, with that, a big one that we find oftentimes are um, visual field defects, meaning that somebody's missing part of their vision due to whether a brain tumor or a bleed or something. You know, fortunately, we have two eyes and they kind of compensate for each other. So oftentimes these individuals won't even notice that they have a problem. And then we'll do this visual field testing and identify, whoa, you know, you're you're missing the middle part of your vision in both eyes. I had no idea because with both eyes open, I don't notice. And so, yeah, it's scary. You know, we hate those days, honestly, but it's real important. You know, we can, we can certainly pick up things like you said. Yeah, for sure. Are there any, you know, like you talked about, even if you don't have problems or even if you do have vision problems, do your yearly checkup no matter what, but what are some of the symptoms that if you're experiencing right now, whether it's with your head, your eyes, your vision, like what would prompt you to go get in with your eye doctor right away? Like what are some signs that something is concerning? There are, you know, a few signs and symptoms that we consider to be ocular emergencies. So any sudden changes in your vision really should be or ignored, sorry. Some fluctuations, maybe dry eye, that's normal. But yeah, if you kind of like wake up one day and you're just like, wow, I this doesn't seem right, don't ignore it. Another one would be any, have you ever experienced floaters? No. The periodic little spots. A lot of people see floaters, which are normal. They're these little spots or amoeba looking things or hairs, sometimes people call them, that kind of float through your vision. And so the occasional one of those, totally normal. Most people get them as we age. But if there's ever an instance that there's a whole bunch of new ones, or if there's any flashing lights in your vision or any kind of uh, veiling of your vision, which means like something's kind of like hanging over and occluding the vision, that should be ignored. That's typically a warning sign of like a retinal tear or detachment. Painful red eyes. I wouldn't ignore that either. With the eye tissue being so close to the brain, the risk of infection passing from the eye to the brain is, is quite significant. So you really shouldn't ignore that kind of stuff too, you know, so red eyes, that kind of stuff. You don't, you may think it's just run of the mill pink eye, but it it certainly could be something much more serious. So it's always a good idea to have it checked out. And then last and certainly not least, new onset double vision. (laughs) That's, that's highly concerning. You know, something's up with the, one of the eye muscles and uh, they're all innervated by your cranial nerves. So we want to make sure that we're not dealing with any kind of space occupying lesion or bleed or anything like that. So those are probably the 
biggest ones I can think of right now. I know just a lot of cases that I see in my office, a lot of people will come in with some sort of like they'll mention the visual floaters or they'll say, you know, oh yeah, I've been having double vision for a while. And I'm like, okay, well, have you had your eyes checked? Like, you know, recently or within the last year? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's great. Let's get you into your eye doctor just to clear any issues like with the eyes first. So again, I get it. You know, things pop up with our health and sometimes we want to just kind of ignore it. But like we talked about before, symptoms, especially with our vision, it may not just be a small thing. It could be something much bigger. So the sooner you get it checked out and the sooner you can get treatment, like hopefully the less, you know, severe it is. So just a good, good reminder. Yes. If you have a good optometrist, we're never going to be bothered <laughs> by a simple email asking things. You know, my patients have my my cell phone number, so I, I'll be sitting, I'll be watching TV at the end. Of, oh, got a text from a patient. Obviously, let's limit it to an extent, but for the most part, you know, we're happy to answer any um, questions, concerns. It's not an issue. No, for sure. We signed up for. Yeah, you signed up for this. I had a great question from a friend who you know, she's never had any vision issues before. And she was like, you know, I haven't been to an eye doctor in a long time because I've never had any issues. But is there anything that you can do if you do have perfect vision or you don't have any symptoms right now? Is there anything that you can do to preserve your vision from either just like a preventative standpoint, like getting your eyes checked or even like lifestyle related things that we can do for our eye health? From the examination part of things, yeah, my focus with your friend, for instance, would be more so making sure that she isn't showing any evidence of eye disease. Eye disease doesn't always show up on one single isolated visit, and we are looking for progressional changes. So that's why, again, important to have that data year after year and be able to compare it from the eye health standpoint. Now, as far as um, some lifestyle things, certainly get off our phones. <laughs> um, too much digital device. Couple reasons why. Number one, certainly it's putting a strain on our, our near vision, our focusing system, which is new. Prior generations, they weren't doing that. And so we are having a ton of accommodative or, or near focusing issues. You can lock up your system. You can have like a spasm. There is an actual muscle being flexed in the eye when you're doing that. So, you know, imagine going to the gym and holding a bicep curl for eight hours. You know, that's what you're doing to your eye muscles. And so the good news, it's nothing permanent. You know, it's all about hygiene. But that's, you know, that is a concern. I get it. Some of our jobs require it. So that's, you know, that's a perfect conversation to have with your optometrist of, I can't avoid it. I'm going to be staring at the screen. This is what I do okay, then let's get you a second pair of glasses to use on your computer to help prevent that kind of focusing issue. That's part of it. And then the other part, uh, dry eye is very much out there. It presents itself in a whole myriad of ways. The most common type of dry eye is, is evaporative, and it's related to your oil glands malfunctioning, basically on your eyelids. And there is a huge link, again, between their function and computer use. I'm sure you guys can all kind of understand when we are staring at the computer or staring at our phones, we're forgetting to blink. <laughs> and so the, the, the surface is drying out and we're also not getting that blinking action, which helps squeeze those oil glands to, to secrete the oil. And so 
over time with this lack of of squeezing they start to to atrophy and die off and now we're not even having the the organ that's responsible for giving us the oil in our eyes so the chronic dry eye it, it does have long term effects you will feel it eventually if you don't now don't now believe me uh, we all dry up and prune <laughs> so everything that we can do preventatively and you know preemptively is the better for you so those are my two biggest concerns yeah for sure and i remember once I started coming to you in San Diego and got my new glasses, I loved that you guys, you know, you had my lenses, but you also put like the blue light blocking lens in my glasses. Could you touch on that? Like, how effective do you feel like the blue light blocking glasses are? Is it something that you utilize? What are your thoughts on that? It's a debatable thing. It's, you know, it's one of those controversial at best things. Now, from what I have gathered, and somebody could totally prove me wrong, but there hasn't been any like peer-reviewed medical evidence as to really the effects of these blue light blocking glasses. Does the science behind it make sense? Yes. But there hasn't really been anything to show that it's really doing much of anything. Now, having said that, I have run plenty of, of experiments, you know, blue blocking versus not, blind studies and and gotten feedback from patients, from from staff members, and pretty consistently people like the blue blocking. So there, there's something there from a subjective standpoint with the patient. And if, you know, I'm all about if doing something, you know, as long as it's not harming you, if, if it's making you feel better, why the heck not, you know, go for it. But I do caution my patients, just be careful with some of the stuff you read, because it's it's not all there. More importantly, though, is being concerned, you know, everyone's like blue light from computers, blue light from my phone, which you really need to be concerned about blue light coming from the sun, <laughs> the UV. That's where the truly damaging effects are happening because it's at a, such a different amount. So more importantly, wear glasses, sunglasses, appropriate ones with UVA and UVB blocking. The good news is people who wear prescription glasses that, that has UVA and B in it. That's what I encourage my patients more so to be worried about. But if you feel better with those uh, blue blocking, then then go for it. It's not it's not doing any harm. Sometimes they do have a little bit of a tint, though. So cosmetically, some of my patients are like, no, nah, <laughs> not that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that perspective on it because I feel like it is a really big health trend. You know, like so many things come and go all the time. And I I personally never looked up the research, but I do know that when I because I'm looking at images a lot or like x-rays a lot. I'm looking at my computer. When I don't wear my glasses, it's very apparent like the strain on my eye versus when I do have that. And so I have noticed that, again, whether it is the blue blocking or not, my eyes do feel better. So I'm like, great. Well, it's I've thought about this because it I don't think it's hooey by any means. And the only thing I've been able to kind of trace back is there's a whole specialty, subspecialty of optometry called low vision. And these optometrists specialize in, in people who have lost a good amount of their vision, whether centrally, peripherally, various reasons. And one thing that stands out to me is like, for instance, some of these individuals, they have a, a rod cone deficiency where, you know, they're very sensitive to various lights. And what we do to try to, to alleviate their symptoms is literally, here's a box of 20 different colored tinted lenses, try them on and what feels good. <laughs> you know, there's, we don't really have a method of being like, you're this, so you're going to get this. It's trial and error and, and it does, it provides relief. So I don't know if there's some kind of link there, 
But I, I just, yeah, with people, I just, I wouldn't worry too much about the blue light coming, but for whatever reason, these tints are giving relief. And so, yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? I love that. Okay, Dr. Jesse, so you've told us about, you know, just like your routine eye exams and explained that, which is amazing. Can you talk to us? Because I know another part of your practice is vision performance. And so I would love for you to touch on that because I know not all eye doctors may offer that in their clinics. So can you tell us a little bit about the vision performance, who might need it, and what that looks like? So that kind of traces back to my origins of getting into optometry with my brother, the vision therapy. And so that had always been in the back of my mind as an interest in order to kind of, you know, pay it forward, repay it. And so there is, it's, there's traditional vision therapy. And that's typically for, like I described before, somebody who might have a bit of a binocular vision deficiency, whether it's age related, school related, it could be due to like a stroke or a, a brain injury, these kind of things. So that's traditional vision therapy, which we also do at our office. But the performance vision therapy, which is what I've really fallen in love with, has to do a bit more with like athletics and and performance. Um, And so, you know, it's like vision therapy on steroids. (laughs) Um, So it's, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just it's a little bit more technology driven, a little bit more exciting because you're kind of on your feet, you're up, you're moving, you're doing stuff in free space, oftentimes with your sports specific tool, whether it's a basketball bat, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, what we do with that is, you know, step one is always the comprehensive eye exam, weeding out any just binocular vision disorders or deficits, identifying those. And then we also run you through a performance driven set of tests that measure. There's a lot of them are kind of repetitive, but it's also it's measuring in a situation that's more similar to playing the game. So an example I use is, you know, it's a lot different sitting stationary in a chair and reading the chart from across the room than when you're looking over your one shoulder and walking or running one way, trying to identify a ball coming at you at whatever speed. So these are, those are kind of the differences. And then a lot of it has to do with seeing how well your eye works with your brain that works with your muscles. So the eye-hand coordination, quickness, decision-making, that kind of stuff. So yeah, we're able to fully assess this and and identify the strengths of the athlete, identify some of the weaknesses of the athlete, and we can from there come up with a a treatment plan, you know, that includes both traditional vision therapy if needed, as well as a more sports specific training program to uh, strengthen their their skills and hopefully, you know, improve their craft and make them, you know, the idea is to create them into a an elite athlete as a that has been scientifically uh, studied and, and evidence-based that we identify certain eye skills in elite athletes, and, and those skills are trainable. And so it's really exciting. It's fun being an, an athlete myself. You know, I, I wish I would have had this when I when I played. Maybe I would have played past high school. Sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's exciting, and, and I like interacting with the middle school, high school kids, hopefully college kids sometime. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff. Well, I think it's cool to know you know, just like in all things with our health, like what are the basics? Like what do we absolutely need to do? Like getting our yearly eye exam. But if you are someone who does want to be an elite athlete or even not an elite athlete, they just want to improve or optimize their vision. 
like that is, that's an option for them, which is really cool. So I love that you have that part of your practice too. I know you're really excited when you got all the technology for that. March of 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Pandemic. (laughs) Right in time. Getting new technology is so fun. So I love it. One other thing that I've been wondering, because I wonder this about all healthcare professions, but when it comes to optometry, are there any misconceptions? Like, do you feel like there's a lot of things out there that people are kind of misinformed on or not necessarily anything you can think of? Yeah, I think I was thinking about this question and probably the one that stands out the most, and I think it's shared, unfortunately, by patients and other providers alike, but all the time I'm hearing, you know, optometrists aren't real doctors. And I get it. Um, I understand because we aren't cutting and sewing and, and doing this that, you know, we, our skills may be discounted a little bit. But I want to reiterate to people that, yes, we, we do receive medical training. We go to school typically eight years at least. Oftentimes people also do residency. And again, we are, we're the primary care, primary eye care providers. Ophthalmologists, they're, they're the specialists. You know, yes, I granted, yes, those are the real doctors. Those are the MDs and, and they're the specialists, you know. So let, let us lighten their load with kind of triaging and, and doing the primary. And then, and then it goes on to there, you know, and then, and that's, that's the way it should be. We should be all holistic. We should all be, you know, contributing and collaborating with other specialties. I think that's a big one that I wish would get squashed. (laughs) And then uh, I think this is a, you know, a a profession at fault kind of thing, but we did an awful job of uh, titling ourselves (laughs) because it confuses everyone. There's opticians, there's ophthalmic techs, there's optometrists and ophthalmologists, (laughs) you know, and so people come in all the time and they're like, are you the optician? Are you, you know, we did an awful job of, of kind of delineating that. And then even so, like across, you know, over in Europe, confuses it all even more. So, so um, I think that's some of the misconception that, yeah, as I am an optometrist, I can treat disease, I can prescribe medications, including oral medications. It doesn't, it's not just eye drops. I will check your prescription, yes, but I do a lot more than that. And, you know, vice versa, like ophthalmology doesn't typically like to check prescriptions, but they want to correct for disease and do, do surgeries. So I think that's one of it. And then probably the one that irks me the most, and, and again, I get it. I empathize with patients. I am a patient. Treating contact lenses so casually, kind of holding us accountable for that or blaming us. You know, they they are considered contact lenses, be, albeit they're very safe. Typically, there's relatively low complications, but we are governed <laughs> by law to, to treat them as medical devices. So they require yearly exams, which come with yearly examination fees. But I get I get beat up and left and right by patients that, you know, that it's the same stuff I wore last year. Why do I have to do that? You know, and so I wish that misconception of them, the contacts just being so readily available, that would go away. You know, especially around Halloween. The number of people that want like the color, color spook. <laughs> I don't know. Dr. Jesse, can you please just get me some red contacts right now? Like. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. And and so I just wish that would that would all go away and people would understand that really, albeit the risk is small, but it be mighty. And a good example of that, there there's an I won't mention names, but there's an online contact lens distributor who is in quite the hot water with multiple suits of people have lost their eyesight due to 
unprescribed contacts. They just pick what they think is going to work for them. It doesn't fit well or it doesn't, the material reacts wrong with the eyes and, and yeah, how they're left with that. So I just, I wish people would take contact lenses a little bit seriously and, uh, you know, cut some slack to us for trying our best yeah. um, <laughs> and kind of, yeah. So those are probably my biggest ones. No, that's so good to hear. Cause I've never, I've never worn contacts. I don't know if you remember, I tried to wear them. I was in your office for like an hour trying to put one in my <laughs> eye. And I was like, well, Dr. Jesse, this is not working for me. So I'll be wearing glasses for life. Great. Right. <laughs> well, that's imagine somebody who just wants, you know, again, that spooky costume and they order them, it comes to their house and they're just trying themselves. You know, it's yeah. No, thank you. And then they can't get them out. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, thank you. No, that was really great. I think those are great things for people to hear, even just your profession in general. I loved that. Now, to conclude our episode, can you just tell our listeners if they want to continue to follow you, learn more from you, where can they find you? Absolutely. I do have a website. It's uh, www.caymaneyecare.com. That's my personal website, but I also uh, I share space with an optical called Be Seen Optics. They also have a website with some information, helpful information. They go into a bit more about available frame lines and things like that, whereas my website concentrates more on my specific services, more along the lines of sports and performance, dry eye therapy, eye exams, that kind of a thing. And yeah, you can always email me. It's Jesse at caymaneyecare.com. I'm always here to chat. Perfect. What about social media? Oh, the socials too. <laughs> yep, yep. Cayman Eye Care on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Don't have Twitter. I keep being told I should get Twitter. Not yet, but maybe someday. <laughs> but yeah, for now, we're, we'll stick with those two. I feel you. Like having two social medias, Instagram and Facebook, like it's enough. Please don't have me add anything else. I know. Some of my colleagues are doing the TikTok and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I feel you. I am with you, my friend. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. I thought it was so great. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. And then we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mercedes. This was awesome. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this information was valuable and that you share it with a friend or family member who is struggling to find answers to their health issues and they want help moving forward with their healing journey. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow me on Instagram at drmercedescook. To request a consultation to work together, head to uppercervicalsd.com. I appreciate you tuning in and I look forward to seeing you here next week to dive into the next topic together.